Welcome to All Tomorrow. I'm Muni Jensen. And I'm Peter Schechter. So let's talk about Ukraine. Why Ukraine? Well, because it's everywhere. The Eastern European country named the breadbasket for Europe for its thriving agro industry, but it's also one of the poorest nations of the continent, has been in the headlines, Mooney, incessantly for the past three years. I mean, way beyond the reasons that it's been in the headline now. It's first from Russia's invasion in the Ukrainian region of Crimea. Then there was the downing of Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 by Russian nationalists. Now it's almost daily association with Donald Trump's impeachment process. It seems like this nation, it's not that critical a nation is punching way above its weight in headlines. But not to worry, Peter, we won't go into the politics of Trump and the ongoing speculation about the possible outcomes of the impeachment ordeal. We're going to skip that today. There's enough of that in our daily news feed, but we will concentrate instead on getting to know the country a little, why it keeps reappearing in global news cycles and uh, also be joined by a true expert on the subject, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine and Brookings scholar Stephen Pfeiffer. Peter, I remember covering Ukraine, and we probably did this together a few years ago, extensively on TV in 2013 when all the student demonstrations began and turned into a major protest that eventually ousted corrupt strongman uh, Viktor Yanukovych, who then watched from Moscow while Russia invaded and annexed Crimea. It seems like yesterday, and it hasn't really died down this whole business with Ukraine. No, right. I remember I remember well when we were doing this commentary together and 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 since then it seems like every scandal that erupts in Washington has some Ukrainian angle. First the Manafort scandal after the campaign manager and you know a fistful of DC firms were hired to make the case for Moscow. Now Trump was trading American foreign aid for a new Ukrainian president's help with investigating Hunter Biden who is the son of former president Joe Biden. Look, we've all read the story. So what's really special, Peter, about this very surprising place, which for decades has had to fight off Russia and is now struggling to be kind of a lonely, thriving corner of democracy in an increasingly autocratic region. Let's, if you look at countries, and we've talked about this enough, Poland and Hungary that reduce and restrict political freedoms, they're run by autocrats. The reason is that during all of its history, Ukraine has been the center of, at the center of a battlefield between Russia and the West, and it continues to be there. Undoubtedly, it's because Ukraine's poor institutions and nearly non-existent bank laws allow for shifting political alliances and very, very fast-moving cash. So it's a free-for-all for consultants and opportunists. Yeah, and, you know, and some consultants have called Ukraine the virtual Berlin Wall separating Russia from the West. You know, current politics could, might, you know, there's been a lot of hope in the U- Ukraine uh, every time something new happens. But current politics in Ukraine could possibly tell a different story because the president, whose name is Volodymyr Zelensky, is a Jewish comedian. He's a liberal Democrat in what was once a virulently, virulently anti-Semitic country. And he's got a 70% approval rating. He leads a new generation of reformers, including in his cabinet, lots of women's and minorities and new symbols of progressive politics in a region that too often has veered to the extreme right. And you got to remember that Ukraine claimed its independence only 28 years ago. This is an extremely young country. After decades of Soviet domination, it has roughly 40 million people. So it's a big country by European standards, but it's also the poorest. 
It has been one of the largest grain producers, and after the 2014 revolution, its activists and young leaders were trained by political organizations in the West and paid for by foreign foreign donors, by USAID and and uh, the British Foreign Aid Agency. And a lot of that has strengthened ties with the European Union, including the addition of the country now in the Schengen area for tourism. But it's not enough, obviously, despite the money coming in and the aid and its new politicians and strengthening ties to Europe and all these high hopes. Ukraine is very vulnerable and being in the limelight can be positive or it can be very, very damaging. And they themselves have recognized that. So we have recognized that we're not experts and we're bringing in the authorized voice. Stephen Piper is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution Center on the United States and Europe as well as the director of Brookings Arms Control Initiative. And he is also a fellow at Stanford's Institute for International Studies. Pfeiffer was the third United States ambassador to Ukraine, and that was from 98 to 2000, and spent more than 25 years with the State Department focused on U.S. relations with the former Soviet Union and Europe, as well as arms control and security issues. He was also special assistant to the president and senior director for Russia, Ukraine, and Eurasia on the National Security Council, and that was in the late 90s. He's now also the author of The Eagle and the Trident, U.S.-Ukraine Relations in Turbulent Times, and co-author of The Opportunity, Next Steps in Reducing Nuclear Arms. Welcome, Stephen, and thank you for joining us at Altamar. Thank you for having me. Let's start with um, kind of the most obvious question we've talked about earlier. What makes Ukraine surface over and over again in global politics and why? Why does it find its way to the headlines so much? Well, I would look at it in two ways. First of all, um, when the Soviet Union collapsed back in 1991, there was a fairly active Ukrainian-American community that highlighted Ukraine. And events such as the Orange Revolution back in 2004 or the Maidan Revolution in 2013-2014 attracted a lot of attention here. So there's a certain level of public interest towards Ukraine. But on the geopolitical side, uh, the United States government has been interested in Ukraine in part because if Ukraine succeeds in developing as a stable, independent, democratic state with a robust market economy, that's going to help the goal of a more stable and secure Europe, which has already been a long-defined U.S. interest. There's also, uh, going back to the 1990s, uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed, Ukraine had the world's third largest nuclear arsenal, almost 2,000 strategic nuclear warheads that were designed, built, and deployed to strike the United States. Ukraine got rid of those weapons. Ukraine's also been helpful on other questions. It's been helpful, for example, in trying to curb Iran's nuclear proliferation program, Uh, And back in the 2000s, Ukraine was a major contributor of forces to the Iraq coalition force in 2004, 2005, when Ukraine really had no particular dog in that fight. But Ukraine did it because the United States asked them. So there has been this very positive relationship between the two countries going back for a number of years. So let me let me ask the next question and ask you to look at Ukraine's uh, the other border on the other side on the eastern side and it's obvious that Russia has a outsized influence in Ukraine much of it seems to be unwanted so could you do two things for me if you could help me understand the reasons why Russia is so particularly uh, hell bent and interested in this country and tell us also the second thing is is Ukraine able to resist all that Russian influence and, and pressure? Well, let me start with the first question. You have to go back and look at history where 
the history of Russia and Ukraine are intertwined. Both countries claim the Kievan Rus, which goes back to the 10th century, as their founding city. From uh, the mid-1600s up until 1991, with the exception of a couple of years immediately after World War I, Ukraine was in fact part of the Russian Empire. And I believe that for Russians, certainly for many Russians, the collapse of the Soviet Union was not something positive. But of the various states that regained independence, for most Russians, I think losing Ukraine was the hardest. And I go back to a conversation I had with a Russian deputy foreign minister back in the mid-1990s. And he said, you know, about Ukraine, uh, in my head, I understand it's an independent state. In my heart, it's going to take a little bit longer. And for a lot of Ukrainian Russians, losing Ukraine was a difficult issue. But unfortunately, for the relationship between the Russian people and the Ukrainian people, the last five years have been very difficult with Russian aggression against Ukraine, first the seizure of Crimea, and then Russia's use of military force to spark and sustain the simmering conflict in the eastern Ukraine region of Donbass. And what that has done, perversely from the point of view of Russian interests, is it's helped forge a much stronger sense of Ukrainian national identity. And, and that national identity has taken on a fairly negative view towards Russia because of this ongoing conflict, which has now claimed the lives of more than 13,000 Ukrainians. Stephen, Ukraine has been called the new Berlin Wall. Do you agree with that assessment? I'm not sure if that's exactly the right metaphor to use. You know, but certainly, if you're looking at concerns about a Russia that is clearly not happy with the evolution of the European security architecture following the collapse of the Soviet Union, the, the Russians are not happy about NATO enlargement or European Union enlargement, this seems to be the front in eastern Ukraine where the Russians are pushing back using military force. And, and, and again, it gets back to what kind of Europe do we want to have? And, and I believe that having a stable and secure Ukraine contributes to a stable and secure Europe. Uh, and so many now look at that and say, supporting Ukraine in its effort to resist Russian aggression is something that's in the West's interest. And I would agree with that sentiment. I mean, my concern is that if Russia comes to a conclusion, if the Kremlin comes to a conclusion, that this kind of low-intensity conflict that they have sustained now for over five years against Ukraine, if that is a viable strategy, if the Kremlin sees the benefits of that as greater than the costs, do the Russians consider trying that somewhere else? Ukraine is a European nation. And what do you think is the space for Europe in this equation? And when can the EU and Germany in particular, uh, what can they do to strengthen ties and institutions and play a stronger role? Well, it's pretty clear that if you go back and you look at the Maidan revolution in 2013 and 2014, what triggered that was a decision by then President Yanukovych not to go forward with the signing of an association agreement with the European Union. And that was seen by many Ukrainians as a betrayal, because many Ukrainians, particularly in the younger generation, look to say, we want to be a part of Europe. We share European values. Uh, we want to be a normal European state. Uh, and if you look now at polls, the polls show large numbers, 65 70% of Ukrainians would like to see Ukraine as a member of the European Union. Right now, that's probably a difficult issue for the European Union, which has moved towards building a close relationship with Ukraine. 
but there seems to be hesitation among European Union states in terms of giving Ukraine a membership perspective. Part of that reflects the fact that Ukraine still is a relatively poor country and would consume a lot of EU development funds, and that would take away those funds from either southern European countries or countries in Central Europe. Uh, part of it, I think, though, is um, a certain amount of deference to Moscow is that the European Union understands that if they move to bring Ukraine in, that would cause difficulties in relationship with their relations with Russia. Uh, so Europe, Ukraine is definitely part of Europe. Ukraine aspires to be fully European, including the membership of the European Union. Uh, but there's going to have to be developments both in terms of Ukraine's economic development. Uh, it needs to get to a point where there's a stronger economy, uh, higher living standards, and then there probably has to be evolution in the part of EU thinking now before uh, the Ukrainian desire can be realized. In many ways, it seems that Ukraine's consistent problem seems to be an unfixable problem of corruption. Indeed, a recent Washington Post article described how former Vice President Biden became furious with former Ukrainian President Poroshenko uh, about the country's inability to control and rein in the oligarchs that still hold power. So can you just run us through, to, why is it that it's so difficult to fix this problem of corruption in Ukraine? Ukraine has made some progress on this score, but uh, I would argue that what probably cost President Poroshenko um, a second term was that after some initial progress uh, in 2014 and 2015, uh, he seemed to be unprepared to tackle the oligarchs. Now, the oligarchs certainly have a role to play in Ukraine's economy, but what causes concern is their outsized political influence and the way that they seem to use their political power then to protect uh, their economic position. And it's held Ukraine back. Uh, you see it in terms of foreign direct investment in Ukraine, which is nowhere near what it should be for a country of Ukraine's size and potential. Uh, but that's because entering the Ukraine market, you have to deal with this corruption. And a lot of foreign investors say it's just not worth the problem. That, that, that concern about corruption and uh, President Zelensky during his campaign, he made fighting corruption a central theme. And I believe that was probably the biggest single factor explaining his election back in April. And, and the question now is, is Zelensky, who has made some pretty strong commitments to the electorate of Ukraine, is he now prepared really to take real steps to curb the influence of the oligarchs? Uh, and there's one oligarch in particular that people worry about. Uh, its name is Ihor Kolomoisky. Mr. Kolomoisky owned the television channel on which Mr. Zelensky, who his background is, he was a television comedian, uh, he was on Mr. Kolomoisky's channel. And the question is, are there still links that would give Mr. Kolomoisky uh, influence uh, over President Zelensky? Uh, people hope that is not the case, but they're still watching to see whether that's not in. There is a, a resolution or the question of one particular bank in Ukraine that could be an indicator of which way Mr. Zelensky will go as president. Well, I, I, you, you segued beautifully into my question, which is give us an assessment of, of the, the country's new leader, President Zelensky. I mean, he is he experienced enough to lead this nation and, and handle 
the external pressures, which are both from Russia and from the United States now, but it's also the pressure from oligarchs. And I, you know, he's, it's an interesting, he's an interesting, tell us a little bit about, he's an interesting character. He's, he's a Jewish in a country that was, has had a history of virulent anti-Semitism. So his election is, is, is a very interesting one. I want to, why don't you tell us about it a little bit? Yeah, I think Mr. Zelensky is a very interesting figure on a number of counts. Um, let me let me kind of tote up some positives and then a couple question marks. The positives are that in his campaign and also in his first months in office, he's advocated a very strong pro-reform agenda, anti-corruption, pro-Western. I mean, his first overseas travel was to Brussels to meet the leadership of both the European Union and NATO. Uh, and then he then from there his next stops were Paris and Berlin. He's very much signaled that Ukraine's coast will remain towards the West, and I think that appeals to a large segment of the Ukrainian population. Uh, the questions come in is is he his experience? He comes from he was an entertainer both in movies and television, very popular entertainer. Um, but does he have the expertise to run a government? He's appointed a very interesting cabinet. It's very young. The average age is probably around 35. And again, there's a lot of figures in that cabinet who talk about building a new Ukraine, really achieving the country's potential as becoming a normal European state. But are they going to have the expertise to just manage the day-to-day doings of making the trains run on time in government? Uh, there's also, again, this question about his relationship with uh, the oligarch uh, Igor Kolomoisky, and the jury, I think, is still out on that one. But a couple other points I would make about uh, President Zelensky. One is he is in something of a unique position for a Ukrainian president, in that the prime minister, Ukraine sort of shares executive power between the president and the prime minister. The prime minister is his guy. And for the first time since Ukraine regained independence in 1991, President Zelensky, his party, has a solid majority in Ukraine's parliament. So the stars are aligned fairly well. Previous presidents had to, had to deal with very divided parliaments. So he has the power to make changes, but he's also in a situation where changes don't happen. It's all on him. He can't blame anybody else. There's also, I think, the interesting aspect of his relationship with Russia. And this is where there's, I think, a bit of nervousness is because Mr. Zelensky is a newscomer. And in terms of dealing with Russia, he's dealing with Vladimir Putin, who's been on the world stage now for 20 years. But Mr. Zelensky may not be the easiest person for President Putin to deal with. For example, as you said, he's Jewish. That undercuts much of the Kremlin's narrative about Kiev. The Kremlin says, well, the leadership in Ukraine, it's neo-Nazi, it's very right-wing. Well, they have a president who is Jewish. Uh, the second thing is that um, Mr. Zelensky, as an entertainer, a lot of his movies were very popular in Russia. And he actually remains a quite popular figure in Russia. And, and so that may be hard for President Putin to sustain this negative caricature he's tried to create of Ukraine. Uh, We'll have to see in terms of uh, when they have their first face-to-face meetings, how they deal with one another. Uh, but it could be an interesting relationship and could be interesting to see how it plays out. Stephen, is he part of a trend, um, This a new crop of uh, liberal Democrats that are getting stronger in Eastern Europe? Or are we being 
overly hopeful because it does seem that there's a group of progressive mayors and members of parliament, even presidents that are that are showing up in the region. Do you believe this could be a kind of a, a sign of some light? Well, the trend in that part of the world has been kind of mixed. There's been concern, for example, about Hungary, uh, whose leader Orban has definitely is definitely an illiberal Democrat. Now, the good news in Hungary is that uh, in local elections, the opposition parties uh, did quite well. There's also the case of Poland, which unfortunately also has been moving in the direction of illiberal democracy. Uh, and in fact, that, that party did fairly well in recent elections. But then there are some positive signs in Slovakia. They've elected a new president who very much seems to want to push back uh, against uh, the trends towards available democracy. So the picture in Eastern Europe, I would say, is, is fairly mixed. In Ukraine, uh, again, uh, what you've seen consistently over the last, well, going back certainly to the Orange Revolution, is a push on the part of the population really to have uh, a regular democratic state. Uh, and it's, it's, it's notable that uh, since 2004, since the third election, presidential election, the, third, or the, the rerun of the, of the um, runoff election back in 2004 following the Orange Revolution, now every Ukrainian presidential election has gotten good marks as free and fair and competitive. Uh, the question, though, gets beyond that when you're looking at President Slutsky is now, can they move on that democratic basis to really solidify institutions that reflect democratic values. And again, in Ukraine, the big challenge will be is, can Mr. Zelensky and his government, can they be successful in curbing the political influence of the oligarchs? And, and that, to my mind, is probably going to be the big test for Mr. Zelensky, both in terms of his domestic constituency, but also it's a big test in terms of uh, Western supporters like the International Monetary Fund and and Western countries. Well, I mean, it, you know, clearly, as you say, he needs support and he's going to need strong allies outside the country. And I guess who leads the that alliance of support for Ukraine today? Because certainly nobody seems to trust the United States anymore, particularly given what's happened with uh, with President Trump. Right. Well, the European Union is, I would argue, the logical place to take the lead um, in that that's where Ukraine has set its objective. Uh, and within the EU, uh, Germany actually has been quite supportive. I think Angela Merkel has done a lot, uh, for example, in bringing the European Union to agreement on and then sustaining that agreement to apply economic and other sanctions against Russia in the aftermath of Russia's aggression against Ukraine. First of all, the use of military force to seize uh, Crimea and then illegally annex Crimea. And then Russia's continuing support for the Serbian conflict in eastern Ukraine. Uh, and five years ago, my guess is people would not have expected that in 2019, the European Union would, as a matter of course, as a matter of routine, regularly renew those sanctions on, on uh, Russia. So I think the Germans and I think Chancellor Merkel deserve a lot of credit that they've led on that question. At the same time, what causes a bit of ease of Ukraine is that they can see that in some European Union states, uh, say Italy, um, Greece, uh, Hungary, there's talk about, well, we should move back towards business as usual in Moscow. I personally believe that that would be a mistake. 
but it does create a certain anxiety in Ukraine that Europe, or at least some in Europe, might want to get back to a normal or more normal relationship with Russia. And what Ukraine worries about is that that would require or that would entail some acceptance of Russia's ambitions within Ukraine. And therefore, I think for Ukrainians, they do look to the United States as the stronger ally. And over the last 25, 27 years, I would say that the United States has had a clearer strategic vision for Ukraine than Europe, even though the United States is 4,000 miles further away from Ukraine than the European Union is. Uh, and it has been the United States, for example, that has pushed military assistance to Ukraine. That's something that a number of European countries are reluctant to do, particularly when it comes to lethal military assistance. But the current uh, scandal, the current questions over where President Trump is on Ukraine has caused some anxiety. And it's a situation where if you look at the American policy towards Ukraine over the last several years, it's continued support for Ukraine, it's applied additional sanctions on Russia, uh, it's done some things that the Obama administration was unprepared to do. For example, providing some lethal military assistance. Uh, and but I would argue it was basically a continuation where the Obama administration was moving in 2015 and 2016 towards more support for Ukraine, but also towards uh, a stronger stand against Russian aggression. The problem for Ukraine is that while the administration's position, I would argue, is very positive towards Ukraine, it's not clear that that's where the president's mind is. Stephen, in the context of what you're saying, the view from Ukraine, what is their kind of assessment of what's happening in the U.S.? We have a, a one or two minutes left. And does this notoriety benefit Ukraine at all, or is, does it just make this kind of new young government the more new government in Kiev has to be very, very careful about how it handles uh, the whole question about Ukraine and the United States right now. My concern is that going back to 1991, we have seen strong bipartisan political support for Ukraine, both Democrats and Republicans alike. Ukraine needs to be careful not to do things that would undo that bipartisan support in Congress. And it does seem to me that uh, in the last month or so, going back to President Zelensky's meeting with President Trump in New York, uh, the Ukrainians have tried to be very careful and walk that fine line. On the one hand, they don't want to antagonize President Trump, but on the other hand, they also don't want to antagonize the Democrats. And it seems to me that the safest thing for Ukraine here is to try to keep out of American politics. It will not be useful for Ukraine if they become a football in the American domestic political scene and in the 2020 presidential election. Stephen Pfeiffer, thank you so much for joining us on All Tomorrow. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Seems to me, Mooney, that it's all on the shoulders of this young comedian in his late 30s, Mr. Zelensky, and a man with zero political experience, a man with no ability to really have a, he has a young technocratic team, but this is not a, not a team that can handle two superpowers going at each other, a president of the United States that's trying to uh, put him in a box, a president of Russia that has part of his country's geography has been taken over by Russia. So I, it just seems to me this is a big job for a inexperienced man. 
Yes, but isn't he then the perfect person for the job right now? He represents the new Ukraine. He has a strong agenda. He's a good communicator. He's got a diverse, interesting team. I think it's it, it's a difficult situation for sure. There's very little experience around the table, but perhaps that's what Ukraine really needs to take a step forward. And if he is indeed riding a wave of the you know that includes the rest of Eastern Europe, I think he could be successful more than maybe a seasoned practice politician. I think one of the great challenges he had was the one that Stephen Pfeiffer pointed out, which how does he basically keep Ukraine out of the newspapers? You know, most countries pay consultants and PR people to get in the newspapers. This guy has to pay people to get out of the newspapers because you don't want Ukraine to be political football. It's had bipartisan support here in the United States. It can't risk losing that. For sure, Zelensky in the middle of a, of a firestorm, to say the least. Hopefully he will, and Ukraine will come out successfully from there. Thank you for joining us on Altamar. See you next time. Mm-hmm.